This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Colbert Report, The David Feldman Show, The Daily Show, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Progressive, Le Show, Counterspin, Media Matters, Real Time with Bill Maher, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, The Bugle, and The Young Turks with a bonus video clip for our Apple, iOS, and Android app users, also from The Young Turks. Mitt Romney is getting hit with tough questions about his tax return. Governor, will you release your income tax records? You know, I, I looked at what uh, has been done in, uh, in campaigns in the past with Senator McCain and President George W. Bush and others. Uh, they've tended to release tax records in April or tax season. But, you know, if, uh, if that's been the tradition and uh, I'm not uh, opposed to doing that, time will tell. I have nothing in, in them that uh, suggests there's any problem and I'm happy to do so. I, I, I sort of feel like uh, we're, we're showing a lot of uh, uh, exposure at this point. And if I become our nominee, I'm uh, and what's happened in history is people have released them in about April of the coming year, and that's probably what I do. So there you have it, folks. He will probably, mostly, maybe, release his tax returns in April, assuming he is finished giving that answer by then. Because, folks, the next day he still hadn't gotten to the verb. Jim? Oh, what's the effective rate I've been paying? Well, it's probably closer to the 15% rate than I think is my last 10 years. I've, um, uh, my income comes overwhelmingly from, from investments made in the past rather than ordinary income or rather than earned uh, annual income. And then I get speaker's fees from time to time, but not very much. That answer, folks, is shocking. People actually pay to hear Mitt Romney speak. But as he says, they don't pay him very much. Just $374,000 last year. Think about it, folks. If that was his entire salary, Mitt's income level would drop all the way down to the top 1%. Well, I am calling for full disclosure. And not just from Mitt Romney. I am calling on Newt Gingrich to release his tax returns, Rick Santorum to release his tax returns, Ron Paul to release the treasure map to his chest of gold. And folks, not just... And not just 2011, I mean the last 10 years of treasure maps. Dead Man's Cove, Ghost Island, the Crystal Cave of Arman Rock. Mitt Romney, and I approve this message. Hi, I'm God, and I'm here to talk about Bain Capital. As you probably know, Bain has more money than me. That's why they hired I to say a few good words about Bain Capital. But before we go on, I'd like to point out that I'm the real God, 
Not the weirdo Mormon one with the cuckoo underwear, or even that old Jewish one who smells like herring and foot powder. I'm a white Protestant God, and I support Bain Capital. Under Mitt Romney, Bain created more than 100,000 jobs. Now, I know a little something about creation. I built the heavens and the earth in seven days, without any foreign labor. And after I was done, I laid off several million seraphim, cherubim, and other assorted angels. You don't keep deadweight employees around. It's called creative destruction, and it's the operating force behind Bain Capital. And yes, Bain Capital decimated entire towns, closed factories, and destroyed the livelihoods and pensions of countless loyal employees. But you can't make an omelet without destroying a few trillion eggs. That's how they do it at Bain Capital. Bain Capital just laid me off and plans to replace me with a cheaper foreign deity. Probably an Indian one like Shiva or... Vishnu. Good for them. It's how you do business. In Bain, we trust. Now, where's my check, you motherfucker? What would you say is the number one reason people should tune into the David Pakman show if they like Jay Tomlinson's Best of the Left podcast? I mean, I see it completely differently from, from someone who's just watching it. Yeah, well, but if I was asking someone else's opinion for the promo... I don't even watch our show, so how can I answer that question? I do not watch our show. So Lewis is, isn't even a fan of the show. <laughs> Maybe the answer is Lewis doesn't actually like Can you this be show. a fan of the show? I mean, are you? Can, is, isn't that kind of stupid to be a fan of your own show? I'm a huge fan of this show. <laughs> of course. That's like being a fan of yourself. You're like a narcissist. What, do you put pictures up of yourself at home, too? Well, if that doesn't make you curious... I don't know what will. Check out the David Pakman show at davidpakman.com. You can share, you can share. If you love, if you love, if you love, life you love, you get the blessing. Yeah. From above, from above. Mitt Romney's strength is his brilliant, detail oriented business mind. To anybody who's making under $200,000 a year, we're going to eliminate all taxation on interest, dividends, and capital gains. I take the corporate rate from 35 down to 25. The plan that I've put together, it's 59 different action steps. 59 action steps! Because 60 would be like, how many steps do you need? And 58 would be, where's your plan, man? All these numbers right at the top of his head. It's like there's no question about money that can stump Mitt Romney. Governor, will you release your income tax records? I hadn't planned on releasing tax records because uh, the law requires us to release all of our assets, all the things we own. Uh, but, you know, if, uh, if that's been the tradition, and uh, I'm not uh, uh, opposed to doing that, time will tell. But uh, I anticipate that most likely uh, I'm going to get asked to do that around the April time period, and I'll keep that open. I mean, uh, you know, I know, you know, certainly I don't uh, intend in any way to be... <laughs> Holding up the uh, process, I certainly would when I'm asked. And the, the question was, oh my God, Batman! All right, fine. Just give us the big picture. What percentage of your income do you pay in taxes? The top rate's 35%, but a man of your means, I'm sure, 
you know, your accountants probably get it down to high 20s, maybe 30%. While you're telling me, I'll just have a, a sip of this hot cup of coins. It's probably closer to the 15% rate than anything. I think I pulled the tongue muscle. That's not easy. It's not an easy spit take. So Mitt Romney pays the same tax rate as the guy who drives that f***ing bus behind him. How's Romney pull that off? Because my last 10 years, I've um, uh, my income comes overwhelmingly from from investments made in the past rather than ordinary income or rather than earned uh, annual income. And then I get speaker's fees from time to time, but not very much. <laughs> <laughs> Who would pay to hear Mitt Romney speak? Even when he practices speaking in front of the mirror, his reflection falls asleep. It's not... So, of course, it's probably not very much money. Romney's financial disclosure forms show he earned nearly $375,000 in speaking fees in 2010. <laughs> These were licked by Mario Batali before I put them in my mouth. 375,000 thousand in speaking fees in one 12-month period. Most Americans would think that is a lot of money. I bet. I wonder how much money I'd bet. 10,000 bucks? $10,000 bet? Who are you? I was thinking like $20. A hundy at best. You know what, Mitt? You're a rich man. We all know it. Cut the crap. The great middle class. The 80 to 90 percent of us. I know what it's like to, to worry whether you're going to get fired. Every couple of times I wondered whether I was going to get a pink slip. Well, maybe I should also tell my story. I'm also unemployed. <laughs> That's not you. This is you. Front and center in the yearbook photo of Phi Beta Jagoff at Douche University. <laughs> You're very, very rich. Stop pretending. Stop running from it. And just own it. Just come out of your obscenely large mahogany paneled closet. <laughs> America, I've got something to tell you. I am flamingly wealthy. <laughs> Letting us see who you truly are could be scary. But it gets better. The last time Mitt Romney ran for president uh, in 2007, heading into the 2008 campaign, the Boston Globe ran a get-to-know-Mitt-Romney human interest profile on the man who had been Massachusetts governor and who now wanted to be United States president. That profile, in the summer of 2007, opened up with what is now a very famous story. 
very famous story about this member of the Romney family. Uh, the story involves this very, very handsome, enormous Irish setter, his name's Seamus, uh, and it also involves that car, that wood-paneled station wagon you see there on the right side of your screen. It also involves a 12-hour drive from the Boston area to Ontario, Canada. Ahem. And I quote, The white Chevy station wagon with the wood paneling was overstuffed with suitcases, supplies, and sons. When Mitt Romney climbed behind the wheel to begin the annual 12-hour family trek from Boston to Ontario, the destination for this journey in the summer of 1983 was his parents' cottage on the Canadian shores of Lake Huron. Before beginning the drive, Mitt Romney put Seamus, the family's hulking Irish setter, in a dog carrier and attached it to the station wagon's roof rack. He built a windshield for the carrier to make the ride more comfortable for the dog. The ride was largely what you'd expect with five brothers, ages 13 and under, packed into a wagon they called the White Whale. As the oldest son, Tag Romney commandeered the way back of the wagon, keeping his eyes fixed out the rear window, where he glimpsed the first sign of trouble. Dad, he yelled, gross! A brown liquid was dripping down the back window. Again, I'm quoting here from the Boston Globe, Globe uh, do not judge me. Um, a brown liquid was dripping down the back window. Payback from an Irish setter who had been riding on the roof in the wind for hours. As the rest of the boys joined in the howls of disgust, Romney coolly pulled off the highway and into a service station. There he borrowed a hose, washed down Seamus and the car, then hopped back onto the highway. It was a tiny preview of a trait he would grow famous for in business. Emotion-free crisis management. All right, that was published in June 2007. At the end of that summer in 2007, Mitt Romney won the Ames, Iowa straw poll for president. Right after he won the straw poll, he went on Fox News Sunday, and the host of Fox News Sunday asked Mr. Romney about this dog business. Back in 1983, you took your Irish setter, Seamus, on a 12-hour road trip tied to the roof of your car. No, 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 no. Not, hey, not let me finish. Like that, yeah. Let me finish. In a kennel. Inside a kennel. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Uh, I have a yellow lab named Winston. I would no sooner put him in a kennel on the roof of my car than I would one of my children. Question. What were you thinking? <laughs> uh, this is a, a completely airtight uh, kennel and uh, mounted on the top of our car. He climbed up there regularly, enjoyed himself. He was in a kennel at home uh, a great deal of time as well. We loved the dog. Uh, it was where he was comfortable. We had five kids inside the car. My guess is he liked it a lot better in his kennel than he would have liked it inside. Well, i got to tell you, Massachusetts law and dog lovers, and I'm one of them, take this seriously. Massachusetts law prohibits carrying an animal on top of a car, even in a kennel, as cruel and inhuman. Do you no, really I, think I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't familiar with that uh, in terms of Massachusetts law. Love my dog. We've, got, we've had a lot of dogs over the years. Love them. Uh, Seamus, as his name is, uh, climbed up there all by himself, uh, enjoyed his ride. And whether you're in the back of a pickup truck or in the rooftop carrier, uh, it was a good ride. And, uh, and all I can tell you is I, I, I didn't know the, uh, that there was any problem with that uh, in terms of the law. I'm glad that Fox host uh, Chris Wallace asked Mitt Romney about that when the story first came out. So we were able to get Mr. Romney on the record about it. And I actually think that Mr. Wallace at Fox is usually pretty good with follow-up questions with politicians. Uh, he did not, however, ask the obvious follow-up at this point in the interview. This is a, a completely airtight kennel and mounted on the top of our car. He climbed up there regularly, enjoyed himself enjoyed himself. He later said uh, he enjoyed his ride. Enjoyed his ride. Remember, though, the story that had just broken 
in the Boston Globe, the, the story that prompted Mr. Wallace's question, Mr. Wallace's question to Mr. Romney in the first place, was that Seamus, however much he usually enjoyed himself on other occasions, Seamus on that 12-hour ride to Canada was not enjoying himself. The whole point of the anecdote, as told to the Boston Globe, was that the dog was in very, very evident gastrointestinal distress. The whole brown liquid thing, I'm sorry, that's the point of the story. The reporter from the Boston Globe who first described the Seamus incident in 2007, the guy who wrote the article, did not write about this incident again for four and a half years after he wrote the original story. He finally broke his silence and wrote about it again for the first time this week. The reporter's name is Neil Swidey. Uh, you can tell that he's somewhat reluctantly going back to this subject, but he notes that even as he criticizes some people for exaggerating the story or embellishing his reporting about the story, uh, or, or he, he says that people have questioned his reporting inappropriately, he does think that one part of this is important. He says, to me, Romney's critics have focused on the wrong part of the anecdote. It's not that Romney put his dog on the roof. I'll take the Romneys at their word that Seamus loved his alfresco rides. What is beyond debate, though, is that this far into this particular trip, Seamus had ceased enjoying his ride, right? This would be the gross part of the story. Faced with such irrefutable evidence, most people, I suspect, would have relented and let the ailing dog cram into the back of the wagon. Right. Even if you're okay with the dog being strapped to the roof of the car, once the dog has been up there for hours and is sick, once he is ailing, you take a hose to him and then put him back up there and then keep driving with him still strapped to the roof of the car for more hours? Do you remember Rick Santorum's Google problem? Rick Santorum famously said um, that same-sex relationships were akin to man-on-dog relationships. Uh, in retaliation for that and other things, uh, proponents of gay rights Google-bombed Google Rick Santorum. They redefined his last name as a vulgar, sexually explicit term. And then they pushed that redefinition of the word Santorum to the top of his Google search results via a website called SpreadingSantorum.com. There is now a SpreadingRomney.com website, which is about poor Seamus. And it defines the word Romney as a verb, which means, well, you can, you can see it here. The word terror there is a hyperlink to that story about Mr. Romney strapping his dog to the roof of the car and then the dog getting sick and then Mr. Romney hosing off the dog and then strapping the dog back to the roof of the car for more hours of driving. This incident happened in 1983. It has been around in the public record since 2007. As Mr. Romney's political fortunes have risen, the story has received more and more attention. This week, the Newt Gingrich campaign uh, not some, some pack vaguely related to Newt Gingrich, but the Newt Gingrich for President campaign uh, put up this web ad, uh, which features footage of Chris Wallace asking Mitt Romney about the dog amid a number of other Mitt Romney gaffes from the campaign trail. The title of the Newt Gingrich web ad is For the Dogs. The Newt Gingrich campaign has also created an official website called petswithnewt.com, where people take pictures of their beloved animals, and I guess they sort of describe their animals as Newt Gingrich supporters. It's a little weird. Why would you do that? But it exists. Uh, Mr. Gingrich's spokesman asked if the campaign did this Pets with Newt thing to create a contrast with what we know about Mitt Romney and pets. Uh, the Gingrich campaign spokesman responded by saying, quote, I will neither confirm nor deny that that's why Pets with Newt was launched. Unrelated to Mr. Gingrich, uh, there's also what appears to be a grassroots website called dogsagainstromney.com. They refer to the Seamus incident as Crategate. 
Uh, you can buy a T-shirt like this that says, Never Forget Crate Gate Dogs Against Romney. Uh, they have blog posts like this one, Howling Mad at Mitt Romney, or this one uh, with the tough-looking dog, Let's See Who Goes on the Roof Now. But the overall idea here is that Mitt Romney is unfit to be president because of the way he treated his dog. Look at this. Hi, I'm Rusty. Mitt Romney is mean to dogs. Help me get my message out. The t-shirts on, t-shirts on the website uh, hit the Mitt Romney is mean theme over and over again. Uh, in fact, this one just says it. Mitt is mean. Dogsagainstromney.com. Whether or not the, the Seamus story, oh, Seamus, uh, whether or not the Seamus story moves you, the reason this story has some political energy behind it, the reason this story has, forgive me, uh, legs, is because the idea of a presidential candidate as mean, as cold and unfeeling, that is something that can be a defining framework in a presidential election. We saw this happen in 1992, for example, when again, uh, we had an economic recession, and when no matter what else was going on in the country, frankly, economic pain was the defining feature of the election. It was the most important thing in the country. And one of the candidates for president that year, who was from humble beginnings himself, he had an incredible gift for demonstrating his empathy toward people who were hurting. He was the I feel your pain guy. And that was a very real thing. And that was in contrast to the other candidate who had had the opposite of humble beginnings, who had been a rich guy his whole life. And, and whether or not that was why, it, it just, it was, it, he just seemed to have a tin ear when it came to relating to people, particularly on the issue of money and poverty. Just as a, a snapshot from that race, uh, this is just a, a, a squib from um, one of the debates that took place during that campaign. Watch how George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton each respond to a question about how they personally have been affected by the economic pain in the country. Uh, first, here's President Bush. We have a question right here. Yes, how has the national debt personally affected each of your lives? And if it hasn't, how can you honestly find a cure for the economic problems of the common people if you have no experience in what's ailing them? Well, I think the national debt affects everybody. Uh, obviously, it has, has a lot to do with interest rates. It has... She's you, saying you personally. You, on a personal basis, how has it affected you? Has it affected you personally? Well, I'm sure it has. I love my grand grandchildren. I want to think how? that... I want to think, think that they're going to be able to afford an education. I think that that's an important part of being a parent. I, if the question, if you're, maybe I won't get it wrong. Are you suggesting that if somebody has means, that the national debt doesn't affect them? Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I get it. Help me with the question and I'll well, try to answer it. In fairness, the, the woman in the audience probably meant, how are you affected by the recession as opposed specifically to the national debt? But the response there from President Bush was, was not exactly, I feel your pain stuff. Whatever she was trying to communicate, he did not get it. In contrast, here was Bill Clinton's answer to the same woman right immediately after that. I've been governor of a small state for 12 years. I'll tell you how it's affected me. In my state, when people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. And I've been out here for 13 months, meeting in meetings just like this, ever since October, with people like you all over America, people that have lost their jobs, lost their livelihood, lost their health insurance. What I want you to understand is the national debt is not the only cause of that. It is because America has not invested in its people. It is because we have not grown. It is because we've had 12 years of trickle-down economics. Mr. Clinton went on and on in that, in that vein, but that's sort of how it's done. 
the perception of George Herbert Walker Bush as patrician and cold and out of touch was, was partly stuff that he did, like flunking that question in that debate. But it was partly also who he was and how who he was showed up on the campaign trail. President also got a chance to see a supermarket checkout scanner in action. Kind of seemed as though he'd never really seen one of those before, and the president said that he was amazed. The president said he was amazed. To this day, don't you wonder if any member of the Bush family has ever bought groceries for him or herself? Like, do they all try to do that now so they don't get trapped the same way he did? This year, uh, the role of incumbent and challenger uh, is sort of reversed, but the, the likely challenger to the incumbent president this time around is the patrician silver spoon guy, the guy uh, who has to worry about coming across as out of touch, about coming across as cold and unfeeling in a time of economic pain, the guy who has to worry, maybe, about coming across as mean. The White House today, in a, in a speech by President Obama's chief economist, doubled down on economic empathy. They're putting income inequality uh, and the good fortunes of the rich not translating to good fortune for the rest of the country. They are putting that right at the center of the president's reelection campaign, where it looks like it will remain until November. Meanwhile, over in Seamusville thus far, uh, the response is that anybody talking about income inequality in the United States is just playing the politics of envy. They're just jealous about how good rich people have it. When you said that we already have a leader who divides us with the bitter politics of envy, I'm curious about the word envy. Do you suggest that anyone who questions the policies and practices of Wall Street and financial institutions, anyone who has questions about the distribution of wealth and power in this country, is envious? Is it about jealousy or is it about fairness? Uh, you know, I, I think it's about envy. Everywhere we, we go, or he goes, we hear him talking about uh, millionaires and billionaires and executives and Wall Street. And it's a very envy-oriented, attack-oriented approach. This is the kind of intangible that can define a presidential campaign. Is America just jealous of Mitt Romney? Does the whole country really just want to be like him? Or do we look at him and his life and say, wow, not me, no. I can't imagine ever doing that. No, never. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as five dollars a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. I heard Mitt Romney's victory speech in Florida, and if I were Obama, I wouldn't be so confident right now, because Romney hammered Obama on the issue that concerns Americans the most, and that's the economy. 
Romney effectively invoked Obama's own statement three years ago that if he couldn't turn the economy around, he'd be looking at a one-term presidency. And while Republicans have done everything in their power to sabotage the economy, the fact of the matter is Obama hasn't turned the economy around, at least not far enough. People are hurting. The unemployment rate remains at 8.5%, and the Congressional Budget Office just came out with a prediction that it will rise to 8.9% by Election Day. That spells big trouble for Obama. Of Republican voters in Florida who thought the economy was the most important issue, Romney got a whopping 52% of them. And yes, his time at Bain Capital leaves him open to criticism as a vulture capitalist. I love Debbie Wasserman Schultz's comment that he's not a job creator, he's a job cremator. And yes, Romney's the walking embodiment of the top 1% right down to his loafers. And he's vulnerable because of that. But Obama's vulnerable too, remember. And his re-election, by no means, is a foregone conclusion. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. Hope you'll forgive me. But when I hear you're doing well My heart sings My heart sings My heart sings My heart sings Get me in a corner In front of all your the Christian conservative movement, if movement it be, uh, organized a, an attempt over the weekend to try to rally around one candidate. They, they had the perhaps divinely inspired perception that um, having three or four candidates appealing to their demographic perhaps weakened their chances to stop uh, Mitt Romney from getting the nomination. So they decided they might want to unify and choose one candidate. So they took a vote voted for Rick Santorum, and uh, Newt Gingrich was on all uh, several of the Sunday Yak shows today saying, well, but I got a lot of votes there. So that worked. That that unified. He's not pulling out of the campaign. And uh, the, the campaign in South Carolina has uh, really focused on the role of super PACs, super political action committees, uh, large money spending organizations which are supposedly and legally not connected to any candidate, even though they can campaign vehemently against the candidate who's running against a certain candidate. And and these the um, rather oddly in South Carolina, which is a state with a lot of conservatives and where Mitt Romney's record on abortion or on uh, other issues of concern to social conservatives might have been spotlighted, oddly, the Super PAC attack ads have focused on his career as owner of the leveraged uh, leveraged buyout firm Bain Incorporated, firm which bought troubled companies, turned them around, and uh, either sold them or put them into bankruptcy. Did something with them, you know, uh, or or made them successful and sold them. Uh, they had a. a, a as anybody does in business, a checkered record. So anyway, the, the 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 attacks, both by uh, the super PAC allied with Newt Gingrich, but not connected with him in any way, shape, or form, and uh, Rick Perry, yes, Rick Perry, who uh, uh, was reported this weekend to have uh, called at a Q&A town hall, a Q&A session, called on a raised hand 
which turned out to be the uh, upraised hand of a uh, storm mannequin. So things are going great for him. But he's attacking Mitt Romney as a vulture capitalist as well. And it just occurred to me that, uh, you know, since uh, hyperbole and in some cases fantasy have been involved in the campaign against Romney as head of uh, this company in the 90s, Bain, that uh, perhaps hyperbole and fantasy could serve him well in response. Oh, I'd ride straight into town from the airport. Plunk right down, prepare to stay a spell. Came to do a job, wouldn't leave until it's done. Clean up the place, then get out and sell. And sell. From the southern right to work states, to the factories of Maine. You'd seldom find an hombre who'd complain. When they'd see me coming, it was way too late for running. Cause I was the man from Maine. Yes, I was the man from Maine. Oh, I'd target all the bad guys on the payroll. Our posse would make short work of the mess. Savages on the warpath didn't bother us none. We'd always ride back out a big success. Success. Oh, from the shores of California to the great Nebraska plain. You didn't need a firearm, just a brain. The rifles were retired. It was people that were fired. Cause I was the man from Bain. Yes, I was the man from Bain. Now I've ridden out of town into the sunset. It's become a job for a younger man. Not thinking of myself, there's a race that's to be run. And spending all the cash that I can, that I can. Oh, from the great Mojave Desert to the shores of Lake Champlain, there's an open job and you don't need to train. You won't be a marshal. And the pay is more than partial. You can be the man from Bain. Yes, you can be the man from Bain. Mitt Romney might need some help defending his considerable wealth or controversial career in the private equity business, but he probably doesn't want the kind of help Bill O'Reilly is offering. Mitt Romney's declaration that he pays about a 15% tax rate on his income confirms what people suspected, that he makes most of his money in capital gains and dividends, which are taxed at a much lower rate than if Romney were actually working for a living. But along comes Fox host O'Reilly, who apparently thought he should rescue Romney by making an argument that even the candidate himself isn't making, that Romney is being taxed twice. On January 18th, O'Reilly explained that Romney, quote, paid his fair share, 35 
25% on the money he made when he was in the workforce. He got out of the workforce and he's living on his investments and paying another 15% on top of the 35, close quote. Now, this would be slightly more convincing if it were accurate. As has been pointed out by the likes of Think Progress and the New York Times, among many others, Romney would seem to be taking advantage of a special tax loophole for so-called carried interest income. In other words, it's not Romney's money he's wisely investing. It's other people's money that his former employer is managing, and Romney gets a cut of that. Bill O'Reilly has, of course, never been great with numbers. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Jess Levin. During an appearance Friday evening, Fox News host Mike Huckabee suggested that Mitt Romney challenge President Obama to release his college records. Let him make this challenge. I'll release my tax returns when Barack Obama releases his college transcripts <laughs> and a copy of his admission records to show whether or not he got any loans as a foreign student. When he releases that, talk to me about my tax returns. All right, but That's being forceful. That's what Mitt Romney needs to has- do. However, in May 2009, factcheck.org assessed the claim made in a chain email that Obama had attended Occidental College on a scholarship for foreign students and concluded, quote, the claim is false and the story is a hoax. And let's not forget, this is not the first time Mike Huckabee has promoted falsehoods about Obama's background. He drew heavy criticism for comments he made during a February 2011 radio interview suggesting that Obama had grown up in Kenya. There is a civil war going on in the Republican Party inside the bubble. Inside the bubble, they're fighting about venture versus vulture. And Mitt Romney, he is not backing down. Boy, he's, when he says the buck stops here, he means literally, I have your money, fuck you. <laughs> and, and the way Mitt Romney is fighting Obama, it's like he's just making up a person who doesn't exist. You know, he doesn't want to fight the real Barack Obama, so he says Barack Obama is putting free enterprise on trial. He's appeasing our enemies. He takes his inspiration from the capitals of Europe. What? Why don't you say that Barack Obama is a pineapple who lives under the sea? <laughs> My opponent, the president, is a sea monster who lives in the Bermuda Triangle, who eats ships and farts hurricanes. I think there's a better way. <laughs> the only reason he's walking away with this is look who he's up against. You know, beating Newt Gingrich in a popularity contest. <laughs> it's like beating Stephen Hawking and dancing with the stars. <laughs> no, although Newt... Come on, he is closing the gap there in South Carolina. South Carolina, in the South, giving him an opening. He's trying to appeal to the rural Southern voter. Uh, today, <laughs> he got blown in a car that was up on blocks. <laughs> and, Newt, <laughs> and Newt got an, an important endorsement this week. Todd Palin. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Sarah Palin's... <laughs> Formerly mute husband, Todd, (laughs) 
endorsed Newt Gingrich. We don't know why, uh, but today Todd was seen with a beautiful pair of Tiffany earrings. <laughs> yeah, they're all going after Mitt Romney. They're trying to stop him there. The most devastating attack today. This came from Rick Santorum. I'm not making this up. He told an audience in South Carolina that Mitt Romney was just a, quote, paler shade of what we have in the White House now. And the guy in the back of the room stood up and said, I thought that was the whole point. In his victory speech Saturday night in South Carolina, Newt Gingrich not only doubled down on racism by repeatedly calling Barack Obama the food stamp president, he also threw out hints of anti-Semitism. The centerpiece of this campaign, he said, is American exceptionalism versus the radicalism of Saul Alinsky. And he repeated Saul Alinsky's name two more times without identifying him. Now, not many people listening to that speech knew who Saul Alinsky was. He was a community organizer who wrote several books, including Rules for Radicals. But what they could easily figure out was that he's some Jewish guy, someone not American like they are. Gingrich also denounced the media, saying that for half a century they've been trying to force us to quit being American, and he also railed against elites in New York and Washington. These terms, the media, elites in New York, say to many people, Jew, Jew, Jew. And juxtaposing them with Americans is one of the oldest anti-Semitic canards in the book. Gingrich is playing with fire here, but his scorched earth tactic worked in South Carolina, and it may work elsewhere as he tries to whip up hysteria among some susceptible white Christian Americans. He's fast turning into a composite of Joe McCarthy and George Wallace. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. For more senior political analyst Wyatt Tanak joins us right now. Wyatt, what do you make? What do you make of these latest remarks by Newt Gingrich? John, let's just say it. That is some racist bull****. <laughs> I mean, it is 2012. What took him so long? Wait, you're upset that he hasn't made racist remarks sooner? I don't know if his remarks were racist. That's just Newt being condescending and dickish. 
or as he calls it, talking. <laughs> What's racist is his timing. It took Gingrich until now to be condescending and dickish to black people? Five years ago, he was already doing this to Hispanics. We should replace bilingual education with emergence, with immersion in English so they learn the language of prosperity, not the language of living in a ghetto. I never heard him say that about rap music or ebonics. What, our language of living in the ghetto isn't good enough for him? Wait, can I, can, can, can I just go back for a second? Did he just say Spanish was the language of the ghetto? Oh, no, but he apologized in broken ghetto language. He say unos comentarios que reconozco produjeron un mal sentimiento entre la comunidad latina. Las palabras que elegí para expresarme no fueron las mejores. Yeah. In the crappiest Spanish ever, that guy already patronized and apologized to Hispanics before he ever got around to insulting black people. But, but isn't that in it of itself by ignoring black people, insulting and patronizing? No, don't try and make me feel better. This guy's been a dick to gays, other Republicans, science, women. You talk about being in combat, what does combat mean? If, if combat means living in a ditch, females have biological problems staying in a ditch for 30 days because they get infections. Right, right. Women are too frail to serve in the military. This coming from a guy who probably can't get out of a pool by himself. Right. I mean, I, I, I mean, look, he was condescending and dickish to a certain people three months before going after black people. And I think that uh, we've had an invented Palestinian people uh, who are in fact Arabs and were, and were historically part of the Arab community. He doesn't think Palestinian people exist, John! <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised the guy didn't on Smurfs before thinking black people are worthy of his disdain. Well, why? maybe he's just saving the best for last and... No, no, uh-uh. We have worked too hard and come too far to not have someone tell us we didn't work hard enough. No, black people should not have to sit at the back of the bus waiting for someone to call us lazy for being at the back of the bus. Here is your next quote. It was someone talking about his multiple affairs and marriages and affairs. It may make me more normal than somebody who wanders around seeming perfect and maybe not understanding the human condition. Who says his history of adultery makes him a better presidential candidate? <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Thank you.
By comparing himself to someone who, quote, wanders around seeming perfect, uh, Gingrich was obviously referring to Mitt Romney, who might have other qualifications, but, you know, since he didn't cheat on two different wives, what does he know about life? <laughs> but even Gingrich, in this defense, did not go as far as Dr. Keith Abloh. He is a Fox News contributor. And he wrote that Newt's marital history actually proves he'd make a better candidate because he's such a great guy that at least three women decided, quote, they wanted to spend the rest of their lives with him, unquote. <laughs> How'd that work out? I know. Well, the point is, he's, the point is, he's like, well, the three women, three women can't be wrong about the guy, even if two of them ended up being really wrong about the guy. So and plus, far. America's only wants to spend four, maybe eight years with him, you know. We're going to get divorced from him anyway. It's not like... Yeah, no, a lifetime with Gingrich. That, that's the newt cycle. You know, he's good for about eight years. Yeah, yeah, you know. and then he's going to yeah. move on to another country. You yeah, know. trust me, I will find another country. The attractive. problem is, in, in, in like year seven, we're going to find out that since year four, he's been sleeping with Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> and he's going to come, and he's going to ask us for like an open presidency. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be Mexico. <laughs> you don't think so? Something tells me it's not going to be Mexico. <laughs> this was the week that the conservative establishment realized just how close Newt was to winning the nomination. They went to DEFCON 5. They paid for pack ads, they wrote op-eds and blogs that said Newt wasn't really a conservative and that he's dangerously unstable. So Newt Gingrich responded to these accusations that he was crazy by promising, and he did this, that by the end of his second term, we'd have a permanent base on the moon. He did that. He started the speech by saying, they called me crazy, I tell you, crazy! <laughs> I'll show them. I'll be on my ninth wife. We'll live on the moon. <laughs> Reagan will be alive again. <laughs> we will be in utopia. <laughs> At the debate on Thursday, more than anything, it was a contest between Romney and Gingrich to prove who was more like Ronald Reagan. Romney, for instance, said just this week he had told the decorators in his fourth home to tear down this wall. <laughs> <laughs> because I want a picture window. Romney has Reagan's hair, right? He does have those movies. That's true. And Newt has eaten all of Reagan's jelly beans. That's true. <laughs> jelly belly, jelly belly, hey, hey. Jelly belly, jelly belly, hey, hey. Jelly belly, jelly belly, yeah. Jelly belly, jelly belly, jelly belly. First, you inhale. Then, you exhale. Hips go up and I'm tummy round. Desperately flailing around in Florida on the last day of campaigning there, Newt Gingrich assailed the president for being tolerant of all religions and once again claimed to be the champion of Christianity. Said Gingrich, I think we need to have a government that respects our religions. I'm a little bit tired about respecting every religion on the planet. I'd like them to respect our religion. Never mind that there's no such thing as our religions plural or our religions singular in America and that the Constitution expressly forbids religious tests for holding office and expressly forbids the establishment of an official religion here. 
Gingrich is up to some serious mischief. He's stirring the basest sentiments of the American public about our religions being better than their religions, and he repeatedly associates Obama with them, the other, with being un-American. He said as much in South Carolina, claiming the race is between someone who believes in America and someone who doesn't. He's constantly calling into question Obama's patriotism. He even labels him a danger to the country. This intemperate rhetoric may yield really ugly consequences. I'm Matt Rothschild. And that's how I see it. The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestofleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. In would-be future president's talking news, uh, Newt Gingrich has proposed to colonise the moon. Yes. <laughs> what a I hero. Mean, Gingrich 2012. <laughs> he, he now has the bugle's full and unconditional support. Because, I mean, not only would it clearly boost the economy in Florida, which I believe was what he said was the main, the main idea behind it. To boost I, the Florida amazing, economy. I think he, might, building I think he might even economy. have been in Florida when he said that. Yeah. That's the incredible coincidence. Yeah. I mean, it is the first refuge of the politician running short of ideas. You know, moon colony. You just yeah. you, every time. <laughs> the world facing economic, ecological, social problems, moon colony. You know, spend billions of dollars establishing a colony in perhaps the most useless place in a 25 million mile radius of where he was standing at the time. Moon colony, John. And it's the way forward for America. Mitt Romney responded by saying that if a business subordinate had brought the moon colony idea to him, he would fire him. Although on the evidence of Romney's career shutting down companies and putting people out of work, A, he'd probably have fired him anyway, and B, he'd have f***ing enjoyed it. Rasmussen poll out, national poll. You know, Rasmussen, I always take with a grain of salt. They're massively Republican, but in this case, it's a Republican primary, so I don't know which way they're leaning. But this number uh, took me by surprise because of how quickly Gingrich has caught up. Romney at 30%, Gingrich at 27%, Santorum's fallen all the way to 15%, and Ron Paul's at 13%. Obviously, the rest are insignificant. Here comes Gingrich, man. Don't get excited by that, okay? You can get excited in terms of the political horse race. I find it fascinating. Danger to the republic. It's a terrible idea to root for Newt Gingrich. If you think he's definitely going to lose to Obama, I'm telling you, you don't know a damn thing. <laughs> Newt Gingrich 
will rip people's face off, okay? And Obama is going to go in with his soft hands be like, and play, try to play patty cakes with Newt Gingrich? I'm telling you, I'd much rather go against Mitt Romney, Mr. Corporate Robot Representative of Wall Street in this era. And speaking of which, I mean, look, to give you a sense of how tough uh, Gingrich is in ter as a candidate, he's taking all this flack from as powerful of forces as you could possibly have on the right-wing side. Fox News Channel, Wall Street Journal, uh, Rush Limbaugh, etc., saying Newt Gingrich do not attack Romney based on Bain Capital. He's like, yeah, that's a good point. I'm going to spend $5 million attacking Mitt Romney based on Bain Capital. Okay? But it doesn't make any sense. Today we found out that Newt Gingrich got paid over $60,000 to do a speech two years ago for a private equity firm. For an hour, he talked about what a great idea private equity firms are. Bain Capital is private equity. He's criticizing Mitt Romney for doing what he got paid $60,000 to praise. When they ask him about it, I say, oh, yeah, it's very, very different. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm in favor of those companies that paid me, but not in favor of Bain Capital, which I'm running against now because of Mitt Romney. Oh, co 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 The guy who paid him for the speech, the head of that company, says this is rank hypocrisy. I saw it with my own eyes. I paid for the speech where he told me well, the, the strategies that basically all these private equity firms do was brilliant. Now, yes, the guy's a liar. Yes, you know, he even turned the right-wing uh, media against him in this. But what's happening? He's rising in the polls. And he won't let it go. And without blinking an eye, he will lie to you. He will be massively hypocritical and not shed a tear. Now, one of the other things that he got Mitt Romney in trouble for is his tax returns. He's like, why don't you release your tax returns, you rich sum of them gun? <laughs> right? And, uh, but Newt New Gingrich also made money from speeches as Mitt Romney did. In fact, he, I just told you he made speeches, money from speeches where he praised private equity. He doesn't care. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's, this is that, oh, that's what I do to criticism. I, I'm, because I'm playing offense. So now all of a sudden Mitt Romney's playing defense. And here's what he said about uh, his tax uh, return and rates. Very high income people in this country pay roughly 15% uh, taxes if, they're, uh, if their resources are coming from, uh, from investments. Uh, what's the effective rate I've been paying? Well, I've, it's probably closer to the 15% rate than I think because my uh, last 10 years I've, um, uh, my income comes overwhelmingly from, from investments made in the past rather than ordinary income or rather than earned uh, annual income. I so, uh, you know, this is the speech we told you about yesterday where he said at the end, oh, you know, I didn't make very much from speeches last year. Turns out he made $374,000. For him, is not very much. But the bottom line is he pays 15%, right? And that's outrageous. Now, he's not breaking the law or anything, but what's outrageous is that candidates like Mitt Romney say that the richest people in the country should only pay 15%, but if you as an individual make over $35,350, you're going to pay 25% for every dollar above that. And that's what Romney thinks is fair. Now, Newt Gingrich can't possibly criticize that. His tax plan helps the rich even more than Mitt Romney's does, right? Wrong again, Bob. Here comes Newt. Well, first of all, he ought to release his taxes so we find out whether or not it was really 15%. And second, uh, I think that we ought to rename our flat tax. We have a 15% flat tax, so this would be the Mitt Romney flat tax that all Americans could then pay the rate Romney paid. I think that's terrific. Look at what... Newt Gingrich is doing. He's blaming Mitt Romney for paying the rate that he wants everybody to pay under his plan. He wants all the rich to only pay 
Okay, and he would claim, of course, the middle class as well. Is that that tax plan is a disaster and is massively weighted towards the rich? We've explained that on the program before. But hypocrisy? Newt Gingrich is like, what name so? I can't believe Mitt Romney is paying the taxes I want him to pay. But because he campaigns like this and he's so aggressive, and now he's painted, uh, you know, Mitt Romney as a Wall Street corporate raider who's going to cost you your job. All of a sudden, Rasmussen poll, national poll, Mitt Romney at 30, and here comes Newt Gingrich from behind at 27%. And here's who you don't want behind you, Newt Gingrich. turned independent candidate for U.S. House, Texas District 12. Um, it was fun watching the CNN debates last night, uh, January 26th. After watching the candidates up there beat on each other and take huge chunks of flesh out while they defended this investment and that tax write-off and explained why this legislation needed to be killed and to favor their account, their, their accountant's desires, I think... The Occupy movement should feel nothing short of vindication after Romney disclosed his tax returns and someone determined that he makes more per day than a teacher like myself makes a year. I think contempt covers pretty much the emotion many of us feel toward the one percenters who call parking their money to earn interest actual work. So I'm thinking it's time now for, for phase two of, of the Occupy movement, if, if I may be so bold as to put this out there. If you don't mind, I would like to call in from time to time to give some ideas and updates about people filing as independent candidates once again for their states. I've been researching on the web, and I'd like to start with California and Oregon. The filing date is between February 13th and March 9th for California, for Oregon. The last day to file as an independent candidate is March 6th. So if you get that done between February 13th and March 9th, you can file your intent, your declaration of intent to file as an, to become an independent candidate and get on the ballot and further change this conversation of, of the campaign the same way that Occupy Wall Street has. I think Occupy the Occupy movement has done a great service in changing the the debate. These we, we got to watch. For a little bit, we got to watch the candidates, the, re the Republican candidates up on stage squirm over the money they make and how they hardly earned it. I think phase two is we need to move from occupying the streets to occupying the ballot. If we get out there and put our names on the ballot to show that, hey, it's not a religion, it's just a political party, these people do not represent us, and we kick those bastards out of the offices that will not change to meet our demands, then we must become the change we want to be. There hasn't been a time as right as this for the people to remind themselves that these offices are not birthrights. We have every right to occupy them as much as the one percenters do, and we will not play the games. Occupy the ballot and make the change we are demanding from our leaders. If they will not lead, then they need to get out of the way and let us lead. Thanks again for letting me rant. 
I'll talk to you soon. Keep up the good work on the show. Have a good week. Bye. Hey, Jay, this is Jeff. I'm down in Florida. I just listened to the SOPA show, and um, I heard your, your next one's going to be on the GLBT issue. Well, I've been wanting to call in since the Hillary Clinton episode at the United Nations, but I've dealt with some um, evangelicals at work on this issue, and it's kind of funny because they always base their reasons to be against the gays or lesbian types, and they say it's a matter of choice. So I turn it around on them and, and tell them that they themselves must be gay, lesbian, bi, at least, because if, if there is a choice, they would have to choose between what they want. For me, I'm, I'm straight, so if, if, if I was offered a sexual encounter with a man or a woman, there's no choice there for me, so they, I would choose the woman. So for evangelical types to, to say it's a matter of choice, they themselves must be bisexual. When I get in the arguments with them and they present that to them, which I've done, I don't know, four or five times, they're just dumbfounded and they don't, they don't know what to say. I just thought it was kind of a, a funny way to, to turn the argument against them. Anyway, that's all I have to say. I love the show and keep up your work. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Jay. Uh, this is Casey from Michigan. Called a couple times, but this particular call, I think, is the one I'm most excited about at the moment because if there's, more, if there's not one thing I'm more excited about than this, it's LGBT issues. I just got done listening to your 31st broadcast, and I'm going to try to make three points in a matter of two minutes so it fits into the voicemail. My first point is, yes, you did that exactly. The, your final comments on the show were exactly the way they needed to be stated because they did exactly what you were trying to do. They, they, they elicited a, a feeling of, what the heck are you talking about in me as an LGBT man going, holy smokes, no, 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 the It Gets Better campaign was not a, was not a failure. And then you explained yourself, and then I felt a lot better about it. So you did, you did your job there. And I, and I, and I, I want to say that your, your point is well taken. And, and the, the ability to communicate, uh, with people outside of our own circles sometimes is something, is, is a point that, uh, the ability to escape people. The second point I want to make is, regards to the It Gets Better, it gets better campaign, I don't know, I, I love the idea of a Make It Better campaign. I'm going to get to that in a second. But as far as the It Gets Better campaign, coming from, I'm a man who grew up in a religious household, somebody who didn't come out until he was 21 years of age. I wasn't bullied in middle school or high school because I was gay. I was bullied in middle school or high school because I was suspected of being gay. So had a campaign like that existed, I don't know if I would have felt that we're trying to push the betterness to the future more so than just giving me hope. And I think that's what this campaign was about, is it gives people hope that things will get better. As far as the first thing goes, uh, real quick, I would love to be able to figure out a way to get in contact with Lauren, because as a member of the LGBT, LGBT community, I did not know that, this, this, that there was a project out there in the works of Make It Better. I would love for Lauren to get in contact with me uh, for a way that I can help her uh, and her and the people she's working with to, 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 to make this better, you know, to contribute my talents to it. Anyway, Jay, keep up the good work. I'm in two minutes, probably three minutes. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye.
Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So we've, we've had a nice confluence of events happen uh, for today's show. The first of which is that I am sick for the first time in a couple of years, so that's exciting, and uh, so I don't really feel like talking a whole lot. And the second is that I didn't have much to say anyways, so uh, everybody wins. Um, I, I've definitely been enjoying the first round of comments that have been coming in about uh, the, the my comments from the previous show, about the LGBT community and the It Gets Better campaign. More of those voicemails will be coming in, uh, in episodes to come. If you want to make those comments, please uh, call into the voicemail line now. Uh, but speaking of people calling into the voicemail line, I write in the outgoing message when you call in, I explain that you know I really encourage people to keep your comments short because if you don't I uh, I maintain the right to deceptively edit your comments to make you sound like a racist and and people are not really abiding by that rule a lot of the times you know sometimes they get a little out of control to the point of you know like 5 7 9 and a half minute voicemails and and so I just want to warn everyone if you call into the voicemail line, which I wholeheartedly encourage you to do, and then you get off the phone and you look and your phone tells you that you've been on the phone for more than four and a half minutes uh, or more than three minutes, really, or maybe more than like two and a half, then there's a really decent chance your voicemail is not going to get played. So if you think, hey, maybe I should try and say that again, but tighten it up a little bit, then go ahead and feel free to do that. So that's it for today. I just want to thank uh, members, as I always do. Um, today, Stefan, or Stefan, I don't know which, uh, Stefan L. signed up for a, a leftist yearly membership back on September 16th, 2010, and stuck with the show through his uh, renewal uh, in, in 2011, and stuck with the show since then. And uh, LaRoyce S. signed up uh, right around the same time, September 14th, 2010, but as a uh, monthly member and has stuck with the show month after month after month uh, as, as a leftist member and uh, and that has been a huge help as with every single member who sticks with the show for that long. So thanks to LaRoyce and Stefan and all of the members and donors who help keep the show going. I couldn't do it without you guys. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by helping to spread the word about individual clips that you particularly enjoy through your social networks. All of that can be done through the show notes. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor